What is going on guys and welcome back to another episode of Full Steam Ahead. As always, I am your host, Jace Vogel, and this is officially episode 8. We have made it another week, I guess. Um, Just finished watching the Nationals-Cardinals Game 3, and we're going to get into it a little bit later when I talk more about the MLB playoffs, but right now, I don't even want to do an introduction. I don't want to do a long introduction because I just want to jump right into this. Where are them boys? And what I mean by that is what is going on with the Dallas Cowboys these past three games? It has been absolutely atrocious to watch as a Cowboys fan. And as many of you that you know have listened to the show, I haven't really talked football the past couple weeks because of... Ah, man, it's just hard to talk football when your team is struggling this badly when they come out so hot. And we're just going to jump into that. So right now, Dallas is on a three-game losing streak, coming off a loss to, in my opinion, the third-worst team in the entire National Football League, an 0-4 Jets team with a quarterback that just got back from mono and a head coach and an offense that is ultimately last in the NFL in almost everything. Literally, they were last in almost everything. And they came into this game, and they put up a 24 spot on Dallas. Now, do not let the final score of this game confuse you. A lot of people are looking at this and they're saying, oh, well, it was only a two-point game. You know, it came down to a two-point conversion at the end. Sometimes things don't go your way, yada, yada, yada. Well, that's bullshit, okay? This game was over after the second quarter at halftime. This game, in my opinion, was just over. The Dallas Cowboys were down 21-6 to at half to the Jets. And just so we all know, the Jets were playing at home during this game. I'm not even using that as an excuse. This was god-awful across the boards. If you guys watched any of the first half of this football game, you would have seriously considered just turning on anything else but that game. There were penalties everywhere. There were penalties actually throughout the entire game, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, this was a terrible, terrible football game to watch on on television. And it was terrible for a Cowboys fan to watch on television. I mean, we came into this game. The Eagles had actually just lost to the Vikings prior to this game. So all Dallas had to do was win this game to reclaim first place in the NFC East, and they couldn't even beat the worst offense in the league. And that's where I'm going to get into this. So first off, pump the brakes on the Dak Prescott. It's all your fault, Train. It is not all on Dak Prescott. Dak had a pretty good game last game. He went 277 yards, got sacked once, no interceptions, no passing touchdowns with a QBR of 73.5 which is above average. Ezekiel Elliott had 105 yards rushing and a touchdown to add to that, along with Dak Prescott's rushing touchdown. But why I say this game was so bad across the board for Dallas was, A, they lost Amari Cooper to injury. We don't know when his timetable to return is. B, their tackles were out, still out, don't know when they're going to return. Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins, huge pieces of that offensive line, still out. Um... Our defense is struggling terribly. I believe in the past two games, we've given up at least, I believe, 24 points in each game. And against the Saints, we in that loss, we gave up 12. But those 12 points were to a backup quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. So it is not all on Dak Prescott's shoulders. He has 11 touchdowns on the season, six interceptions with a QBR of 81.2, which is first in the NFL, just so everybody knows that. And he's got over 1,800 passing yards. He's really not having a bad year. 
Like, compared to some of these other quarterbacks, he's having an average year. I know everybody was high on him first three games, MVP talks. I wasn't buying it at all. I knew this was going to happen. I knew he was going to slow down when he started facing better teams. But what really surprises me is how Zeke has been. So, before this game, Zeke really wasn't doing all that much the past two losses before losing ultimately last week to the Jets, but he really didn't do much against the Saints, really didn't do really didn't do anything against the Packers. He was a non-factor against them. And it really worries me watching how he's been playing and how this offense has been playing very, very like last year um, when their offense really wasn't all that hot. But the numbers are still there. They're still top 10 in every single offensive category there is. And that's where we look at the defensive side of things. So the defense right now is ranked ninth overall in points allowed, ninth overall in yards allowed. 12th in passing yards allowed and 12th in rushing yards. Not bad. It's a average defense right now. According to the league rankings, they're an average defense. Ranking about middle of the pack and about just about everything. Top 10 in the you know yards and points there. But they haven't played well at all. They've had a lot of injuries. They actually just lost, I think, Byron Jones last game during the game as well. He went down with an injury. I don't know what what's going on with him. Things are just slowly unraveling for the Dallas Cowboys, and it all starts from, you know, a fish rots from the head down. So I'm not putting all this on Jerry Jones, but it has to be put on Jerry Jones. You have to fire Jason Garrett. All right, I'm going to be the one to say Jason Garrett needs to go. He should have left four years ago, all right? He has done absolutely nothing but be not even – he's so bad at coaching. He's an average coach. His record all-time is 80-59, just a 576 winning percentage. Most of that in you know, no small part to everything that Rob Marinelli has brought to that defense, really bailing him out on a lot of occasions. But that's not even the numbers I care about. It's the postseason numbers since we've gotten him. Two wins. Two wins. That's all he has for us. Two and three. He's two and three in the postseason. He's not a good coaching coach in the postseason in my opinion the stats you know speak for themselves and yeah they have to fire him it has to be over there are candidates out there I'm going to name a couple as we go forward here but just a quick little little thing here Jason Garrett does not know how to manage a football game every single game I feel like I watch that's like a close fourth quarter game it is like panic mode over there he doesn't know what's going on he doesn't know how to run situations Brett Maher, I'm not going to slander him all that bad, but the dude goes out and makes, I think, a 62-yard kick, a 54-yard kick, or a 45-yard kick, and then he goes and misses, like, I think, what was it, like a 34-yard field goal in the fourth quarter to bring them within a touchdown? That game could have been all but over. Dak runs that touchdown in late in the fourth. You don't need to go for two. You have the lead. You kick the PAT. You walk out of New York with a comeback victory. But no, your kicker misses a chip shot. In my opinion, it's a chip shot. I'm not an NFL kicker. I couldn't make the damn kick. But it's a chip shot. Maybe I could. I don't know. Take a lot of practice. But you're hitting from 60-something yards away, and you can't make a chip shot? That's bad. That's really bad. Every time this guy steps on the field, I get nervous. It is not fun right now. It's not fun being a Cowboys fan. It starts at Jason Garrett. All right. Jerry Jones came out and said, 
I'm not pinning all this on Jason. You know, it's across the board, blah, blah, blah. That is such bullshit, and we all know it. It's terrible. He is so blinded by the fact that he was formerly a quarterback. And for all of you that don't know this, Jason Garrett it was a former NFL quarterback, and he did play for Jerry Jones on the Dallas Cowboys at one point in his career. And he sucked. Let's just put that out there. And this isn't me just hating on Jason Garrett. He's a nice, he's a great guy. I love what he stands for in the locker room. He holds people accountable. But he's not a good NFL coach, and especially an NFL coach for one of the biggest markets in all of football in the Dallas Cowboys. We need some change. And here are just a couple candidates that I found, you know, just searching through the web. You know, it's tough because not only is Jerry Jones, uh, not Jerry Jones, Jason Garrett on the chopping block, but also there's other coaches, so. Those other coaches that are on the chopping block could actually play a big role in what happens, I'm going to assume, the offseason because no matter what, I don't think he's leaving this season. I really don't. I could go on and on. I don't think he's going to get fired during the season. I think if they don't make the playoffs, he's out. Like, that's the straw. If they don't make the playoffs with this team, I'm sorry. There's Everything's got to change. Every, everything has to change. This team is too talented offensively and too talented defensively not to make a high seed in the playoffs. I'm sorry. Say what you want. They have talent. They just don't know how the fuck to use it. So, all all that aside here, you know, it's so tough. Because, honestly, I would love to see Sean Payton come to Dallas, but uh, we all know that's not going to happen. No way in hell. Um, He's staying with New Orleans. That was, like, you know, talks from a while ago. But a couple ones, Kellen Moore. I'm only saying the, these names, by the way, because they're in the organization. I know realistically Jason uh, Jerry Jones will not look outside of this organization for a head coach. It's just not going to happen. So one candidate, obviously, Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator first year. I This is like the longest shot, though. He's so young. I don't think he he's, he's at that stage yet in his coaching career to be a head coach. He's an option. People talked about it before. I would like it. I think he's done wonders with Dak this season. I think he's proven he's more of a pocket passer quarterback, and people can hate on him all he wants, but he al- he could have won that ball game last Sunday. It's just, you know, it's a matter of, you know, playing that way all four quarters and not just three quarters and then some of the fourth, you know. First half was awful. So he has to be more consistent on Dak's end. But besides that fact, Chris Bouchard, or I'm sorry, not <laughs> Not Chris Broussard. Um, uh, hold on one second here. He was the Seattle. I got to look him up here. Basically, he was the Seattle, Seattle Seahawks, I think, defensive backs coach. And he has just done wonders. I can't believe I'm blanking on this guy's name right now. But he has been doing wonders, and I think his name's right on the tip of my tongue, too. Chris Richard. That's his name. Chris Richard. I would love to see him be the Dallas Cowboys head coach. That dude brings fire. He's awesome. I love watching him on the sidelines. He's not our full-on defensive coordinator. That's still Rod Marinelli, who I think is going to get the X if they keep struggling on the defensive end. During the season, I think Chris Richard could get that promotion to defensive coordinator if he gets fired, and I think I'd love that a lot more right now than what we got going with Rod Marinelli. Nothing against him, but the stunts just don't work anymore. All right, People know how to game plan around it. you got to change it up. All right, we've seen this shit for the last five years with the stunting. Oh, my goodness. 
But yeah, Chris Richards, I think, is my favorite candidate just because, yes, he's in-house. He's a defensive-minded head coach, and everybody says, well, defensive-minded head coaches don't do too well in the league this year or this uh, in this generation. Um, I'm not trying to compare this, by the way, but Bill Belichick is a defensive-minded head coach. All right? I'm not comparing at all. This is not a comparison. This is just why this is just a point. Defense wins championships. That's all I have to say. You can have the best offense every single year. Like Andy Reid's Chiefs. They always have a great high-powered offense, but their defense lacks and that is why they can't get over that hump to beat New England in the playoffs. All right? New England is a defensive-minded team whether you like it or not. Tom Brady is a game, more of a game manager now than he's ever been. Now that he's a little bit older, but like I said, defense wins championships. Chris Richard, I would absolutely love to have as a new head coach. I think he'd fit perfect. I think they'd buy into his system. I think that would be a great fit for him. Keep him in-house. You don't have to look elsewhere. Keep it in-house. It's really not that bad. It's going to get better before it gets worse. They got a big game against the Eagles next week. I think they're going to steal it. I think they're going to get back to 4-3. and three. Uh, A lot of people, I mean, if Cooper doesn't play, a lot of people are going to say that's kind of a bold prediction. But, no, nah, I stick by it. I think Dallas will win that game. I'm done talking football because it is so hard for me to talk about the Dallas Cowboys so far these past three weeks. It's been terrible. So, moving forward, the fun stuff. All right, back to MLB postseason. Yankees-Astros so far, I think, has lived up to the hype. And I'm a Yankee fan, and last night my heart was broken by Carlos Correa. I stayed up. The game started at 8 o'clock. All right, I'm thinking, all right, you know, this could go either way. Verlander's on the mound. Paxson pitched a pretty good game. And basically what happened last game, Judge hits a two-run home run, puts him up 2-1. to And then all of a sudden, Aaron Boone, who in my opinion is one of the worst bullpen managers out there, not the worst. I'm not going to say that. I wouldn't say he's one of the worst. But last night, he just proved again why he's not that great at managing a bullpen yet. He's new still. It's his, I think, second year in. Second or third year in, I believe. And, you know, it's going to take some time for him to adjust to that. But anyways, besides the fact, he pulls Chad Green, who had relieved Paxton, and he was pitching perfect. I mean, through five batters, he was pitching absolutely perfect. And... Then he pulls him. There there was not a runner on anywhere. Pulls him, top of the order comes. It's Adam Adovino versus George Springer. I think it was literally the first pitch Springer saw. He took him deep center field, ties the game, takes all the momentum away. We keep going. It's a dogfight. Runners are left on base. There was a huge play at the plate later in this game with DJ LeMayhew and Carlos Correa. There was a ground ball hit to the second baseman, Jose Altuve, bobbled. They, I don't really argue this call now. I look back at the replay, but basically third base coach was waving LeMayhew home. Correa made an amazing, barehanded, he fired this ball to the catcher. Let's just put it this way. Fires it to the catcher, gets the out at the plate, ends the inning. Double play, um, not double play, but gets him out of the inning. Huge play. Takes more momentum away. We go into extra innings after it's all said and done. It comes to the 11th inning. Carlos Correa, first pitch he sees off J. Happ. Oh, God. Deep right field. It was a no-doubter. And just like that, the series is tied. 
We are at we have a tied series in the ALCS. Also, game one, Tanaka pitched a gem. It was a seven to nothing win. He pitched a shutout. I mean, it was it was a dominant performance for Tanaka. It was a huge performance looking back at it now. Because say he doesn't pitch like that and we don't hit like that, we could easily be down two nothing. But that's just what ifs. That's that's all hearsay. So, anyways, Correa walks it off last night, breaks my heart, four and a half hours and wasted. Not wasted, but I was upset. Let's just put it that way. The people that were watching the game let me know I was very, very upset and tired. But here comes game three. Tomorrow night, it's going to be game three. Huge, huge, huge game. Can't stress enough. Huge game for the Yankees. They're going against arguably the best pitcher in the postseason so far this year in um, in Cole. And we have Luis Severino for us going on the mound and... Here we are. We're back in the Bronx. We got three straight games. We need to win three straight. Well, we don't need to, but three straight games in the Bronx. Those are three games that we could definitely win. Those three games could put us in the World Series. So right now, I think we have a lot of momentum, but there are a lot of moving pieces right now. One of those moving pieces is actually a a storm being called for. It's Game 4 Wednesday. I'm going to talk about Game 4 a little bit later towards the end of the episode because I have some exciting news about Game 4. But hopefully it's still exciting news. So basically there's a huge storm coming in during the day Wednesday. It could result in Game 4 being pushed to Thursday. Now, why is this such a big deal? People are thinking, oh, it's just a delay, whatever. It happens all the time. Mother Nature's a bitch. So why it's such a big deal is... That's more time for rest. That's more time for bullpen pitchers to rest, starting pitchers to rest. And you do not want the Astros to go in with rest. All right? We managed to take Verlander. I think they pitched Verlander like eight innings or seven innings. And he was pitching great too. I mean, besides the two-run home run, pitched great. But besides that, if game four gets pushed, all this rest starts building up. Players start to find more momentum through this. It kind of swings towards the Astros' favor if there is a rainout. So there's a lot of moving pieces there, but so far for the Yankees in this ALCS, it's been the Glaber Judge show. Glaber Judge 2020, mark it on your calendars. They have been playing great. Judge finally got out of his huge slump, had a great game last night. LeMay, who had a pretty good game. Where the hell is Gary Sanchez and Edwin Encarnacion, though? I understand Giancarlo Stanton did not play last night. Had some, uh, I think it was a calf issue or a uh, something, something was tightened up, whatever. He was being a baby about it. So Sanchez and Encarnacion have been non-existent so far this this series. I don't think I think Gary has one hit. Encarnacion, I don't think does. They need to come alive. They are the heart of that. Or they definitely need to get out of this slump because without them, they're the power. They are more of the power than I believe Judge and Glaber and DJ are. All right. These two pit I think these two players are five and six in the lineup. That's what it was last time. And you have to produce there. There were runners on when they were on. Gary Sanchez, huge at bat in the extra innings. Uh was called out on a makeup call, strike three, which led to the walk off. But there was runners in scoring position. He couldn't make anything happen. It was a great at bat, fought him off all the way, came off, you know, came down to a Makeup call, I should say. It was outside. They just said that because of what happened earlier in that at-bat. But, yeah, they have to come alive. 
without them, this offense kind of stalls in that middle of the lineup for a little while. Because then after them, you know, you got Didi, Gio, and then usually it would have been Stanton, but last night it was Cameron Mabin. And he played great, by the way. Cameron Mabin had a great game. And, you know, worked a walk, got a base hit. Did the little things against Verlander that really helped us get runners on and runners in scoring position because he's a great player on the base paths. But what hurts us right now is not having Tyler Wade on this ALCS roster. And I say that because when Encarnacion got on in extra innings, there was no there was no pinch runner for him. If you watch baseball, you know Edwin Encarnacion's a big boy. He's old, he's like thirty six, very big, not very fast. He hits home runs or doubles. That's about it. I mean, well, I wouldn't even say doubles anymore. He hits home runs or like long singles. Like he he doesn't have speed. So, you know, they could have gotten him if Tyler Wade was on the base paths, in my opinion. He's got some speed. I think he could have moved all the way to third. Could have set something up there, too. That's just me. That's my opinion. But, yeah, these two players in particular, they have to start stepping it up. Because right now, with them kind of stalling out, it's kind of hurting the offensive production a little bit. Game three predictions, however, I think we're going to roll. All right, I think Cole is going to give us a huge game, though. It's going to be really tight. It really is. But as a Yankee fan, in my biased opinion, as always, I'm always going to pick the New York Yankees to win in the Bronx. They're a great team in the Bronx. They actually have an advantage over the Astros when playing in Yankee Stadium. Back in 2017, the Astros actually didn't win a game in the Bronx. So that's huge news right there. That's a good little tidbit to think about. But besides that, I think the Yankees are going to take game three. We'll talk about game four as we go, but I think even game four, depending on where that's played, that's the key. If they play on Wednesday with the bullpens, bullpen advantage will always go to the Yankees in this. If we can steal this game against Garrett Cole, go into game four, play a great game, do the little things, get out of it with a W, this series just got a lot more interesting going into game six. So that's about that's about it for, um, you know, that... ALCS. Let's turn to the most surprising thing I think I've ever seen. Not ever seen, but like it's pretty surprising. The Washington Nationals, the wild card team, who beat the Dodgers convincingly, has a three game to nothing lead on the Cardinals, and it hasn't even been close. Nobody's talking about this, but this series has been a blowout the entire way. Game one and two. Max Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez, both almost had no hitters. I believe Scherzer went into the seventh, Sanchez into the eighth. They won convincingly in those two games. And now we go into game three. And what I mean when I say, you know, when I say that the Nationals have a low-key, nasty, nasty bullpen, not even bullpen, starting pitchers, I should say, but their starting pitchers are absolutely filthy. Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer. Those three in particular. Sanchez had a great game, but he's not, you know, he, he's off and on at times. But these pitchers in the postseason, they are being incredible. They are shutting down St. Louis convincingly. And let's just take a look at what Strasburg did tonight. He won game three tonight. It was a little while ago they announced the win. And he went seven innings, zero earned runs. And 
if you look at his postseason numbers this season, this postseason, dominant. Absolutely dominant. Let's look back at the Milwaukee Wild Card game. Pitched out of the bullpen in that game, as everybody knows. He went three innings, zero earned, and four strikeouts out of the bullpen. Turning over to the series against the Dodgers, he pitched in two games there. Went to five games, as everybody knows. In one of the games he went, I think it was game two, six innings pitched, one earned run, and ten strikeouts. And then six innings pitched, three earned runs, seven strikeouts. And now here we are against the Cardinals tonight. He went seven innings. I think this was his best game, obviously. Seven innings, zero earned, 12 strikeouts. He has been dominant. He has really propelled them in this postseason. They're one game away from their first ever. Just so everybody knows, this was actually the Washington Nationals' first ever NLCS. They've never made it as a franchise. And here they are taking down one of the more storied National League team, St. Louis Cardinals. They have taken them down three games to none. They have a controlling lead. It's obviously going to be Patrick Corbin. It's going to be Patrick Corbin versus Hudson, and I think it's a sweep. I'm just going to say it. I think a sweep is inevitable tomorrow night. I think you're going to see the Nationals actually do it. They're going to sweep into the World Series. I never, I didn't think I'd say that. At the beginning of this. I didn't even think they'd make it out of the NLDS. Let alone make it to the World Series. This is exactly why I always say baseball is an incredible sport. Anything can happen. All it takes is one pitch. So. The MVPs for them though. Obviously without a doubt. Howie Kendricks. Anthony Rendon. Those two have been on fire. Howie Kendricks had a great game tonight. And Anthony Rendon made an amazing diving grab at third base. These two are keeping this team going. Anthony Rendon, obviously, as everybody knows, is an MVP candidate to begin with. Um, Howie Kendricks has come out of nowhere. He actually was very cold entering the postseason until, you know, he hit that grand slam to uh, ultimately sink the Dodgers last series. And they've ridden those two. Howie Kendricks had three hits tonight, three doubles, I believe, a couple RBIs as well. And... Yeah, this has been, if I were to say the MVPs for each team, I'd say, because the Astros and Yankees are obviously tied, I'd say, you know, Verlander, Cole, their MVPs, Yankees probably Glaber, and yeah, I'd probably say Glaber and like, you know, Judge. It's kind of generic, but it's what's been going on lately. Who's been getting on? DJ's been playing good. DJ's been playing really good. And, you know, we're looking really good. I think it's going to be an entertaining uh, series over in the AL. So, but yeah, I'm going to predict Nationals will sweep their way tomorrow. I really hope it happens. I love seeing new teams in championship scenarios. And that is where we will go into a quick little breakdown of some other things going on in the sports world. One of them being back to the NFL, the Tank Bowl goes to... Actually, the tank bowl goes to the losing team, the Miami Dolphins. You went for two and the win, and you came out a loser. You are actually a winner in my book. You are still tanking for Tua. You're going to have that number one pick come, you know, April time. And, yeah, I don't know why the Redskins even wanted to win this game. You know, I know they were in front of a home crowd. You got to play. I mean, I know you're professionals. You want to win. But right now, dude, if it's a tank bowl, it's a tank bowl for a reason. It's it's better than the Super Bowl. No, 
It is it is terrible. It's so bad this season. But yeah, the Dolphins, you won the tank ball last Sunday. Congratulations. And then we go into actually this is something very, very interesting. All jokes aside here. There's a lot of drama unfolding between China and the NBA. It all started when Rockets GM Daryl Morey's tweeted about uh, Hong Kong's uprising against China's uh, government. And obviously, as I say this on every time I talk a little bit about politics, I don't like talking politics. I'm not going to share my political views on this podcast. It's not what I want to do. But this has a little bit to do with politics right now on more China's end and more with the NBA's, you know, what the hell's the word? The general manager, I, I should say, for not even, yeah, for the Rockets. So, yeah, Daryl Morey made that comment to China's government over Twitter. He immediately deleted it, got a lot of backlash, and there are a lot of teams over there right now actually playing preseason games in China. They've been having to answer a lot of questions. LeBron James came out publicly and said we shouldn't be the ones answering these questions. That is for the league to decide. And as today actually unfolded, LeBron made some comments about it, kind of fired back at Maury's a little bit. And Adam Silver actually did hold a players meeting with some of the players discussing, you know, where we're going with this. And it's not good because a lot of NBA fans know the Rockets especially have a great, great history with China. They had Yao Ming on their roster. He's beloved. He's a Hall of Famer. He's the China man. And with everything that just happened there, there's a lot of drama. It's really not that good. It, the uh, the Chinese government is actually taking some money away from the NBA, like, you know, as support, because they used to be huge supporters, but after this tweet came out, there's been a lot going on. So far, Adam Silver's already said, you know, Maury's not going to receive any punishment. LeBron doesn't agree with that. LeBron thinks that if they caused the NBA to lose money, if it was a player, you know, that player would be punished and since it's an owner slash GM they're uh they're not going to even consider punishing him for right now so I can see where LeBron's mad but we got a whole season of NBA coming up next week and man I am so next one next uh next Tuesday I'm sorry so next week NBA opening night kick uh tips off and I'm so excited I can't wait for the NBA even though I'm a Knicks fan I'm just excited and the last little thing before I end this episode tonight if everything holds if everything holds weather wise, I was mentioning earlier about the game four. I actually did end up buying tickets to game four in the Bronx. It will be my first ever New York Yankee game. I'm incredibly, incredibly excited. I'm going with my good friend Zach. And we're gonna have a great time. I hope. I hope this game goes through. You know, was not cheap, but we're gonna be sitting on the first baseline. I've never been to Yankee Stadium. I've never been to old Yankee Stadium. And as such a big Yankee fan growing up and, you know, growing up in a house full of Yankee fans, finally being able to go and to go to a postseason game with the magnitude in which it has carried so far, I'm just I'm just so excited. I can't wait. That's just my huge news lately. Um Yeah, I'm I'm smiling even talking about it because this is gonna be one of those things where you know that's it's Yankee Stadium in the in the postseason. It's gonna be nothing like it. I'm excited. This is redemption for when I wasn't able to go to Derek Jeter's last home game, and yeah, this is this this is gonna be a great time. I can't wait to share my experience with you if I'm able to go. Hopefully the weather holds up for us and we're able to just see a great game, see the Yankees pull out a W, 
and go wild in the Bronx and then get home around like 4 a.m. before I work a nine to five. So that's probably where we're going to end the, ep- yeah, that's where we're going to end the episode today. I kind of covered everything I wanted to discuss. And yeah, this, the show has been going great. Everybody's been so supportive as always. I appreciate everybody's feedback. I love the constructive criticism. I know last week I did make an, uh, a stat error. I said Garrett Cole only had 12 strikeouts. He had 15. And, yeah, I'm glad I have that constructive criticism. It makes me better. It makes everything go a lot smoother for future episodes. And I just can't wait to keep doing this. This is so much fun. I love it. And I'm glad you guys are all enjoying it as well. So, as always, everybody, have a great rest of your week. I hope all your fantasy football teams came out with a win. Mine again did. I am now currently 6-0. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah. I believe... 6-0-1 now? No, 5-0-1. I will be 5-0-1 after this Monday night football game where I think, I believe the Packers ended up, yeah, they came back. Packers did come back. Uh, 23-22 was the final. Mason Crosby hit a 23-yard field goal to ultimately win it. Aaron Rodgers is an amazing, amazing quarterback, as everybody already knows that. But as always, everybody, I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. I can't wait to update you more on the Yankee on the Yankee game in next week's episode. And I hope, you know, hope they come out with a win. So have a good night, everybody. Peace out.